heed his voice from outer space, or else. Today on Dumpster Book Club, we're reading The Sword of Lancor by Howard L. Corey. I'm Sean. And I'm Mimi. And this book is pretty fun. <laughs> so bad. The background, the font, the colors, it's all very fantasy sword and sorcery. Mm-hmm. But the foreground <laughs> and most of the space is taken up by this weird furry... He's a furry little guy. A, a furry little guy. He's like a squinting old man <laughs> with whiskers... And an even layer of fuzz all over his body. Yeah, it almost just looks like an old man with whiskers. And just the painting is kind of loose with the edges. And he's very gray. (laughs) And sad and old. He looks like he's falling asleep. (laughs) But in the background, there's like a swordsman. and There's a few suns or moons. Yeah. The colors are not at all accurate to how they're described in the book, but we'll come back to that. Well, you never know with these old ace books. Could have turned yellow on the shelf. (laughs) After reading this book, I was actually pretty excited to look up Howard L. Corey to see if they had any other books. And there's only one other book. Oh, it's too bad. Published the same year, also on ace um, in 1966 called The Mind Monsters. Is this book 1966? Jeez. Uh, So Howard L. Corey is a pseudonym, and these two books um, under this name, I think, seem like they're mainly credited to Julie Ann Jardine, Um, but she wrote this together with her husband, Jack Owen Jardine. Most of Jack's solo science fiction was written um, under a different name, Larry Maddock. So there are other books by the same people, just under different names? Yeah. Jack Owen Jardine wrote a ton of other stuff, but there's almost no information that I could find about Julie. And um, other than... So Howard L. Corey is basically a play on her stage name. I don't know what she was doing on stage, (laughs) but that was Corey Howard. She was born in China, and she was married to Jack Owen Jardine from 1958 to 1968. They got a divorce two years after this book was written. (laughs) And we'll probably come back to this, but I think it might explain these uh, the poorly developed romantic relationships in this book. Huh. Um... Some of the other solo works written by Jack Owen Jardine were softcore novels with titles like Lesbo Lodge, <laughs> The Nymph and the Satyr, Gay Divorcees, <laughs> Malibu Nymphs, Love Me, and Sinship. 
Wow. I want to read Lesbo Lodge and Sinship. <laughs> Not gay divorcees. No, that sounds sad. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I saw some other things that described him as a sexologist. <laughs> Just generally an all-around horn dog. Um, okay. There is an article written after his death, which the tone of this article <laughs> was ridiculous. Uh, it concludes, his daughter, who Jardine swore was conceived in the attic of the house of Forrest J. Ackerman, in which Jack and wife Julie were then temporarily living, has mm. announced plans to have the body cremated. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Why did he insert that little fact? <laughs> Uh, anyway, but one, one crazy thing is there's a comment on the article from someone in 2009 who seems to have known Jack Jardine personally, and she wrote, I met Jack Jardine on a panel about sex with aliens. (laughs) 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 And he followed me home afterward. Literally, I lived in town. We remained lovers and close friends for decades. Wow. We threw parties together, including his daughter's wedding, painted his house, attended cons, and even wrote a series of porn articles together that earned me almost as much as an SF novel. Is she an alien? (laughs) One... Once he finished rewriting it and selling to eight different magazines over a couple of years, his system for tracking what he had sold to which editor was ingenious. And before he got his K pro occupied three poster boards, he believed if you couldn't sell it at least six times, it wasn't worth writing. He had more pseudonyms than Henry Cutner and was more fun to be around than any five friends you could name. I only spoke with him once after his stroke, but he managed to proposition me and suggest a threesome with an old mutual <laughs> friend. <laughs> he was Jack to the end. I will miss him greatly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that doesn't really come out in this book. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad. And I think that's why these two books are mainly credited to Julie. I think she wrote Mm. them with his help. Um, And that's why his solo works are under other names. Okay. Well, you ready to get into the Sword of (laughs) Lancor? The book starts with a little prologue describing a golden sphere slowly coming down to the planet Lancor and introduces a few characters and their reactions to this magical sphere that appears. Uh, Here we meet Gar, who is a little furry man. (laughs) Probably the one on the cover. (laughs) Who is like a cat, but works as an oracle and is probably a fake oracle. (laughs) But really, this just introduces the golden sphere, which makes a prophecy. Yeah, it comes down with a prophecy from Wabus Karbu, the two-faced god of battle. Mm -hmm. Wabus Karbu is looking for a champion. And then cut to Thuron, 
our beefy barbarian in the middle of a tavern brawl. <laughs> so Theron is a wandering swordsman. He loves adventure, also danger. He's mostly made of sinews, <laughs> as the book describes. Uh, and he encounters Gar, our small furry oracle, being harassed by guards and decides to save him. Not really because he cares about saving Gar, but just because it sounds fun to fight some <laughs> guards. Gar is so thankful that he pledges a life debt, except it's not a life debt. It's a one year and one day debt <laughs> that like, okay, I'll be your servant for one year and one day and refuses to leave him alone. Which Theron is not happy about. He would rather <laughs> Gar went away. So then Theron and Gar set off together and immediately get trapped in a net and attacked by a mob outside of the city. Some thieves. Yeah. Zorm, the Prince of Thieves. <laughs> like the Prince of Murderers or oh, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um Gar is able to get them out by using his oracle slash lying skills. And he proclaims Theron the true son of Wabis Karbu and says he's, you know, on his way to, to prove that in this like tournament of champions that they're holding. And entrants in the tournament are protected by the law. So these, this prince of murderers would be in big trouble if he murdered one of the people competing to be the son of Wabas Karbu. Um, and this is also like the main religion of this city. So I think they're a little bit, you know, they don't want to offend Wabas Karbu by mm -hmm. murdering his son. <laughs> this works perfectly, but Theron then decides that maybe he is the son of Wabas Karbu. And he does actually want to enter the competition. Yeah, again, sounds fun. They eat breakfast together. Theron really cares about food. He eats he, a lot. He cares about adventuring and food. So much so when Gar first offers him some food, his response is to yell, that food better be the finest. <laughs> To which cars, so I guess, probably good. Um, and like, yeah, after their first breakfast, Gar's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> slow down. I feel like right away they kind of start developing a pretty cute friendship. Yes. At first, Theron is always yelling or bellowing. Or hallooing. Or hallooing or roaring. <laughs> But slowly he starts calling him friend Gar or whispering to him or just confiding. <laughs> Caressing in him. him tenderly. <laughs> um, that does happen once or twice. Well, even at the beginning, like, they were always, like, trying to build each other up. Theron would, like, talk about Gar like he's the best oracle there is and all this stuff. So then we get to the competition. All the other fighters are like fancy rich people. They have lots of attendants, well-known in this town, mm -hmm. but... Um, the main other guy is Reese Merlick, Marlock? Merlick. Merlick. And he's the best. 
who seems pretty good too. He's just like <laughs> another Thuron. Well, yeah, he's like the hometown champion. He has the same temperament as Thuron. It's like we just get two hunky <laughs> heroes in this book for the price of one. Thuron is like the clear outsider here. He's also a different race from everyone else. Thuron's skin is golden and Merlick is blue. There's also a few Kendashars in the battle, which is the race that Gar is. The little cat people. Yep. But they're really big ones. <laughs> 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 that are fight like really beefy. <laughs> There's gray people. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like all the skin colors are just like really bright, vibrant colors. But it also could be because there's two suns, three suns. Two suns. And one is green. There's a green sun and a red sun. So I just imagine all the colors are really off. Yes. Like, it hurts my eyes (laughs) to envision this world. Yeah, the way the colors are described were pretty intense. But anyway, they gather all these people for this big competition. And round one is just a free-for-all, hand-to-hand combat. Anything goes... If you die too bad. (laughs) With a time limit. So as long as you survive the time limit, you go on to the next round. Merlick almost kills Theron, but the round ends and he's a gentleman. So he lets him go. Mm -hmm. Even though he probably could have continued strangling him past (laughs) the bell. Uh, But then we get to round two, which is 1v1 sword duels. This is Theron's area of expertise. He's strong and all, but really he's an expert swordsman. He talks about how he studied swordsmanship in every country, on every continent, and he bested the best he could (laughs) find everywhere he could, and he knows all the different tricks different people have. So he handily wins this round. Right, and he just, he sees where the guy's from, recognizes his style, and then knows the exact style to, like, rock, paper, scissors it. (laughs) Then on to round three where they have to battle a giant crab monster. They're called Ereeps, which I thought was going to be like a sheep or like a big cattle, but it is a three-headed lizard with crab pincers. (laughs) (laughs) And they're huge. So this was a pretty exciting battle. He had to do a lot of cool moves. Yeah, he came up with with a cool strategy to get in there and stab the heads through the mouth. And after the crab monster round, only Theron and Merlick are left. So the final round is just the two of them duking it out. And during their final battle, this is where we got a bunch of description about the weirdly colored suns, Mm -hmm. the green sun and the red sun. And there's actually some kind of like solar eclipse a double solar eclipse yeah. between the two suns, which changes the entire color of the sky. It's kind of cool. As that is happening, Theron wins. But it's a really close battle, and he decides to also be a gentleman and spare Merlick. So after Merlick is defeated, he whispers to Theron to beware Yangtor. But after the battle, Theron gets all the treasure. Mm-hmm. He gets a princess. Yeah, and he's not happy about any of this because it's going to hold him back. from. He doesn't like owning property or material things because it keeps him from adventuring. Yes. He doesn't want to be tied down. 
doesn't want to commit to anything. Bagar is very excited where every time they wield a new treasure, he hugs it and <laughs> cries <laughs> how much he loves it. <laughs> yeah, we're introduced to King Zandner, who's bestowing all of these treasures and his daughter on this guy. And Thrawn has to learn how to be polite or learn courtly speech, and he hates it. But he also meets Yang Tor. Yeah, right off the bat, he starts speaking in oily tones. Like, oh yeah, okay, he's definitely a bad okay. guy. I feel like Yang Tor gets unfairly, he's just fat. <laughs> like, Thrawn just immediately assumes he's a bad guy. Gar immediately assumes he's a bad guy. And throughout the book, bad things happen. And Thrawn's like, oh yeah, that was probably Yang Tor. <laughs> and I mean, and in the end, it does turn out to be Yang Tor. But there's no evidence. <laughs> All it is is that he's fat and Theron doesn't like it. So he must be evil. Yeah. I think he is fat. But more than that is that he's very pampered. And he's used his position as the high priest of Wabis Karbu to, like, personally enrich himself. Right. And he's not, like, following Wabis Karbu because he's not a warrior. He doesn't fight. He just indulges. Yeah, he got himself into this position of power, and everything he does is to benefit himself. But still, he doesn't necessarily do anything. <laughs> There's no proof that he does anything evil <laughs> until the very end, but Theron and everyone else already just knows. <laughs> Which, if everyone just assumes Yang Tor is evil, including King Xanadar, including his own priests... How did he get there in the first place? If you could just look at him like, oh, that guy's evil. <laughs> and he opens his mouth and like, oh, those oily tones. <laughs> um, yeah, that's not explained. Anyway, uh, Yang Tor and the king throw our first huge feast. We've got like fancy breads and sweet meats. And it goes on and on about all the foods mm -hmm. that they're on eats. And there's a parade and... Something I thought was pretty funny is, like, Yangtor and Xander keep trying to outdo each other. Like, oh, I'll, I'll get flowers for all the peasants. And, like, okay, well, I'll get these bells for all of them. Or, like, they just, every time they hear that the other did something to show off, they have to, like, raise the bar a little bit. And they both end up borrowing heavily and just going into debt. So... Part of the prophecy is that Theron will get, being the son of Wabis Karbu, which is proved because he won the fight, he will be given a sacred quest. But first, the Golden Sphere tells him that he has to go climb a big mountain where he will be given his sacred quest. And he has to do it alone. So there's a ton of preparations and a big parade, and they all walk him to the base of the mountain. And then he's on his own after that. He has to do a bunch of cool mountain climbing moves. He makes it to the top of the mountain. And there's like a doorway that he steps through. But he immediately gets knocked out and then wakes up in a strange mist. But now Wabas Karbu can speak to him directly in his ear. He gets a magical ring. He gets a sword upgrade. So now his sword can cut through anything, like a lightsaber. Yeah. 
And at the end of this chapter, we get a little between chapter interlude where Wabas Carbu is just a bunch of aliens. It doesn't say it outright, but Wabas Carbu is clearly a group of people who are manipulating Thuron and, and the people of, of Lancor some way. And one of them has eye stalks. <laughs> right. One of like them a- is a slug monster. <laughs> uh. Thuron climbs back down fights a giant bird, and returns. And at this point, the princess that he was gifted, who originally hated him and didn't want to be gifted to him or anything, is slowly starting to fall in love with him. And by slowly, I mean kind of immediately. Yeah. So There's like one moment where she's unhappy about being gifted to someone. And then she's like, oh, well, he's still kind of hot. Yeah. And I guess he's nice. Yeah. And adventuring is pretty fun. <laughs> so I guess this is fine. So this is Princess Yulara. Yeah. So when he when he gets back, Yulara cries and she's so happy. Gar also cries. Gar also cries. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Theron still continues to hear this voice in his ear. And he also has like a like a dream sequence, like this vision, a bunch of weird scenes that uh, they decide this must be his sacred quest, which is to travel across the ocean to this like crystal island and gather up a bunch of crystals. His sacred quest is a fetch quest. To get crystals. Yes. Uh, Xander... I think he has to be convinced at first that he should, you know, send his navy on this sacred quest, but it's not too difficult. He already spent most of his money on the parades, and now he has to fund a boat trip. And But uh, they tell him, like, oh, we'll bring back, you know, treasures and stuff, so yeah. it'll be worth it. He's like, oh, okay. So he assigns Admiral Nerd to lead the <laughs> fleet. Do you think Admiral Nerd was friends with Captain Dork from the prologue? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right, And right before they're about to leave, Reese Merlick has recovered. He runs to catch up on the boat. And then Theron and Reese are immediately best friends because they're just the same guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they travel out to the Forbidden Sea. Yeah, on this um on this sea voyage, we get all these stories and we hear about all this stuff, a bunch of just fantasy things and fantasy set pieces. There's the crystal cliffs and the Isle of Crystals, there's the Forbidden Sea and the Dreaming Mists and the Howling Rocks, and there's an Ocean Hag and the Wind Maidens. Um so that was all pretty cool. There's a super storm. That washes a bunch of people off the ship. And then the scene was also a little bit of just like a montage. Because yeah. it's like in the background, Ilara and Theron fall in love and they kiss. And she tells him that she's not technically royalty because she's the daughter of the king's 10th wife. So that means... If they get married, Theron doesn't have to become a prince or anything lame like that. (laughs) And uh, he halloos joyously. (laughs) Uh, Also, Gar is developed a little bit. We learn he's afraid of water and he has very sensitive ears. 
Oh, yeah. As soon as they get close to those howling rocks, he's, like, incapacitated. So I think the crystals just howl. It's not even wind going through them, because after they bring them back, they're still howling. <laughs> so it's just this <laughs> mineral that just, all the time. <sighs> okay, once they're in this, like, crystal island or whatever, they get attacked by these giant crystal spiders that were all communicating by flashing their entire body different colors. Yeah. Well, I don't think you can speak on this island because the whole ground is just yelling all the time. (laughs) They have their ears like plugged with wax or something for most of it. And there's more intense colors. I think the ocean is red. Mm -hmm. The night sky also has two moons and the night sky is green. The spiders just flash every color and they beat the spiders and Thuron like kind of says like a prayer or offers to Wabus Carbu that you know he could conquer this this whole land yeah they have a city the crystal city yeah but Wabus Carbu is like uh no 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 that's all right this is just a fetch quest so just just get those crystals and get back <laughs> and on the return trip they encounter pirates have to battle the pirates. They this, lose. Yeah. Because the captain, the pirate captain captures Yolara. And Gar. And holds them hostage. And so Theron has to give up his sword. That can cut through anything. The pirates pretty much kill all the secondary characters. Even just, even Admiral Nerd. Yeah. Just Reese, Theron, and Gar are left. They kidnapped Yolara. And they pretty much just leave our heroes to die on a ship with no sails. And uh, we find out they're drifting towards Kensar, which is where Gar is from. Yeah. And I guess it's like, it's pretty much implied that Yang Tor betrayed them. Well, Thrawn just, oh, Yang Tor must have hired these pirates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out he was right. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but he does jump to that conclusion. So Wabas Karbu only speaks at certain times of the day when he checks in with Theron later. He like had no idea that they just got like wiped out by these pirates. He's some Wabas Karbu is becoming more and more buffoonish, more and more like whatever the king of Oz is. <laughs> the wizard yes, of Oz. The wizard of Oz. Thrawn's like, come on, Dad. You didn't know that we just got totally humiliated by these guys. And he's like, oh, okay, hold on a second. Let me get back to you. <laughs> and then he like is like, oh, okay, it's fine. You're you're drifting towards this land, and it's all, all part of my plan. You're gonna be fine. So yeah, then they they land and they kind of adventure through the jungle. They fall into a river. Gar almost drowns. But good thing Merlick knows fantasy CPR. Mm-hmm. At this point, Thuron was so scared and so happy now that he cries a little bit. <laughs> so many people were just killed by those pirates they didn't give a shit about. <laughs> uh, then they are immediately captured by battle maidens. Gar immediately flies into battle <laughs> doing like these little Catman punches He's doing all his sweet moves. And... Uh, Thrawn and Merlick just refuse to fight ladies, so Gar is on his own, and <laughs> uh, so they're defeated again. They get taken to the queen, 
of the Battle Maidens. She says she's also on a mission from Wabis Karbu to take over the temple, and she's going to be the new high priestess of Wabis Karbu. He's like, oh, hey, I'm Wabis Karbu's son. Well, at first, Theron is like, I'm going to... I'm going to call you out because I personally know Wabas Carbu didn't give you that quest. And then Wabas speaks his eyes like, uh, it's fine. Just team up with her. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess he has that like, because he does say all that stuff like that she's an imposter. And then he hears all this stuff in his ear and he's like, oh, okay, okay, you're cool. <laughs> um, and then they don't believe Theron, but... He still has his magic ring, but there was kind of a major plot hole and mistake at this point. Yeah. Because to prove himself, he pulls out his sword. That was taken from him by the pirates. And that he doesn't have immediately after this scene because the pirates have it. Yeah, right after he complains about not having the sword to help them build the ships and stuff. It's not really a plot hole since, like, the scene could have happened with just the ring by itself. To prove that he was the son of Wabus, Karbu. And, like, the ring is basically like a flashlight. Mm -hmm. You can, like... A laser pointer. Yeah. um, And that would have been enough. Instead, he uses the sword that he doesn't have to cut through some stuff. (laughs) Uh... Gar is, like, the first one to get really suspicious about Wabas Karbu, and they start asking questions. They figure out if Gar puts his ear up to Theron's ear, they can both hear the voice. Mm-hmm. They ask too many questions and try to trick him a little bit, but they still go along with all his plans. It's basically to return with the Battle Maidens and the Queen, and once they get back, they pretty much uh, siege the temple... Well, first he gets his sword back, which is fastened to the statue of Wabas Karbu. Right, because Yang Tor did betray them. Yeah, and because Yang Tor stole the sword and hired the pirates and captured got all the treasure Yulara. and Yang captured Yulara. But before this, they set up this plan where Theron and Reese and Gar were going to climb the tower and light this fire, and then the battle maidens would shoot some arrows to mark to tell him that they saw the fire. But then the battle maidens never come up again, and Theron and Reese just take over the the temple by themselves, I and think, the battle maidens don't do anything. I think they were like support. I thought they were in the battle. I thought it was like a huge battle. It's just like happening in the background. No, because it just just the priests were fighting, and then later the battle mains were like walking in the streets. <laughs> they never went in the temple, and if there was other things they were doing, it wasn't in the book or even alluded to. Well, I mean, I thought the the battle kind of continues, and Theron goes looking for Yulara, so it doesn't even really focus on that stuff. He goes into the dungeons and is down there, like looking for her. And he finds Zorm also. Yeah. <laughs> Prince of Murderers. Who's yeah. now his friend. They're now friends. <laughs> I mean, I guess he saved him, so it's friendly enough. Um, and he releases all the prisoners to go wreak more havoc, which they do happily. He kills Yang Tor. Got him. Who who was the bad guy. <laughs> all this stuff happens and then the king is just like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with this. Uh, thanks for killing Yang Tor. We all knew he was evil. We just didn't do anything about it. 
But also the battle maidens decide they don't want to take over the temple because the queen of the battle maidens has fallen in love with Reese for no reason. <laughs> and she's given up all her hopes and dreams to just be with Reese. And I guess Reese is now the captain of the guard and they're just going to live a normal life. Yeah, there was zero buildup in that relationship. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, okay, we love each other now. It's like it didn't make sense that they would like each other. They're both battle people. Yeah, they like they like battle. It just seems weird that the queen had a holy quest and she pretty much completed it and then just decided not to finish it. Well, who knows what Wabas Carbu is saying <laughs> in her ear. <laughs> But otherwise, everything, yeah, just gets wrapped up and resolved into happy endings. There's another feast. They construct some kind of portal and send the crystals through it. Then Gar and Theron have, like, an emotional talk. Gar wants him to keep pretending to be the son of Wabus Karbu to prevent someone evil from doing it. Even though they've both caught on that something is... is Something's afoot here. Yeah, and Theron's kind of like a little bit better than chaotic neutral. <laughs> He's not exactly <laughs> the best person to be the son of Wabas Karbu. And then Wabas Karbu also sends a device out from the portal, which allows him to control the golden orb to to spy and things like that. It's like a little RC car, yeah. but and also not you know don't be evil. Here's a thing to spy on other people. <laughs> Then Gar decides to run through the portal and leave Theron behind. Theron, like... So, something I forgot to mention is that the Kens have a traditional greeting and farewell to show respect where you, like, slap your nose really hard. You smite your nose. (laughs) And so, this final scene... Theron solemnly does a traditional Ken farewell. <laughs> um, but also, Theron is left behind and settles down with Ilara in the kingdom, while Gar decides to go on more adventures. And we get a little epilogue with Gar meeting the aliens in their spaceship, who are just... They're just like rogue merchants <laughs> getting money. That's how he figured out that something was wrong, because... The way that the Wabas Carbu was speaking is like he's talking like a merchant. So that's how he knew that he's not a real god. And they just go around pretending to be gods and getting minerals and stuff. <laughs> and they figured having Garlong would be great since he's already an oracle and way better at it than they are. Uh, to help them not give themselves away. <laughs> well, the end. Do you have any additional thoughts? About the Sword of Lancor? Well, a lot like the Web of Wind, this one has a ton of made-up words and creatures. So I thought I'd give you another quiz <laughs> if you want. <laughs> well, I made one too, so... Oh, okay. Wait, well, then we can just compare, see if, who got the most... Uh... All right. All right, I'll go first. Shat. <laughs> Okay, is that X-A-T? Yeah. Oh, okay. So that is some kind of jungle animal that 
maybe cat or bear-like. That's yeah. all I've got. Okay, so we can get points if we manage to stump one, the other one. Okay. Yeah, you go next. Okay. What's a norkel? <laughs> a norkel? A norkel. A norkel? Yeah. <laughs> wow, I don't have that one at all. <laughs> Is it a bug? <laughs> no. It's a unit of measurement. The ship is five norkels oh long. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, I think you'll win this one if you got norkel on there. Paort Unashvir. Um, so that was like a curse that he yells. Yeah, as an insult. But they never translate they it. They didn't say what it means. <laughs> okay, what about Quran? That's a that's another insult for foreigners. <laughs> a racial slur. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um Cianos. C E E A N O S. That's a, a pack animal. Smaller than a seprovine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like a like a little pony. What about Rarn Who? It's a place. Yes. The gray-skinned people. A uh, Pitar. <laughs> P-T-A-H-R. Okay, that's another jungle animal with long teeth, okay. like like saber cat. Okay, okay. I don't think... The rest are on mine are pretty easy. I don't think we're going to get each other. I think you win with the Norkel. I've got one more. Okay, you got a hard one? I don't know. Okay. Thona? Spell it. T-H-O-N-A. I don't have that one either. (laughs) That's the name of the holy mountain. Oh, yeah, okay. That one doesn't count. I'm not giving you a point for that one. (laughs) So, okay, so I'll just just go through. We can just go through some other made-up words. Sure, yeah. There's the orc, which is a giant bird. Three heads. Yeah, may also be three-headed. Uh, a really common one was slord, <laughs> which. So this was like a, a racial slur for Tavishians. Yes. But it also was like another type of pack or herd a, animal. A stealthy, swift pack animal. But also maybe they're like fat or gross or something. Yeah. But Gar was always calling people slords. Yeah. Uh, his sword, Noandoar. Which means Blade of Truth. Do you think Terry Goodkind is a fan? <laughs> There's also another very common one was Simne, which was a fine material for making clothes out of. Like a rare expensive silk or something. Mm-hmm. There's the the Nagorths. Yeah, little swarming bugs or birds maybe. And the Seprovines, which were beasts of burden. But they also said they were very intelligent. <laughs> They took the most intelligent animal and tie them up to a, an oar, and that's how they drive the boat to these big cows. Oh, my gosh. Unlike Web of Wind, most of these are repeated over and over. And they get sometimes get defined, and they're usually italicized. Yeah. You find out little bits of more information to kind of build on them. I think this one, I liked this way better than Web of Wind. <laughs> yeah. 
Also because a lot of the made-up words were just made-up animals that they usually described anyway. Yeah, so it worked out. This one also, like Web of Wind, would have helped with a map. One, because I just love fantasy maps, but also just having a bunch of names and saying things are next to each other is hard to keep in, keep track of, especially when they reference places a lot. Web of Wind, it was a lot worse because <laughs> there were like places connected to other places and politics that mattered kind of. Yeah, this would have been a really cool fantasy map, though. With, yeah, like, with the Forbidden Sea and the Isle of Crystals. And the, the Dreaming Mists and all yeah. that stuff. I think we already talked about the colors a lot, but... I thought it was pretty cool to just imagine this as like visually what would this world look like and imagine it as a movie with like, I don't know. Well, I just imagine it when like an amateur movie where it's too saturated or they make colors weird and stuff. It seems more sickening than cool (laughs) to me. You need a director like Dario Argento or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um and overall, like, I really liked the friendship between Theron and Gar. I thought all the characters, though some were pretty undeveloped, the ones they spent time on were very likable and enjoyable to read about and be around. I would have wished for a more developed villain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, uh, with motivation or, you know... Less one-dimensional than Yang Tor. Yeah, I think... Because Theron is, like, so just good and Reese is just good and they have, like, these nice friendships, it would have been nice to have a more complex evil or just a more evil evil, just not some guy that ever, I don't know. I thought Theron and Reese and Gar deserved a better antagonist or problem to solve or something rather than just a fetch quest for some aliens and... Right, yeah. I definitely think the romantic relationships also could have been more developed or just cut and just right. have it be more about the friendship than rather than shoehorning that stuff in. Yeah, Ulara probably would have been better friends with Theron than, I don't know. I guess I can't really blame the authors since they got divorced two years <laughs> after this book came out, so... I did think with the introduction of the Battle Maidens, we would get a better female character because the other like cool combat characters were so well-developed. I thought we'd have a well-developed female character, but unfortunately, no. Yeah, it was all kind of background stuff. Might just be because this book was so short. I think it could have been a lot longer. I think I'm glad it wasn't. Yeah. It was good being short. Things that suffered were extraneous characters and since we have a barbarian hero of course i have to compare it to conan overall this is like much more light-hearted and fun the conan stories at times got kind of dark and edgy <laughs> <laughs> well i think conan conan itself is actually a lot more complex than people think it is or at least thoughtful than people give it credit where this was the most simple and stereotypical sword and sorcery you could yeah. really get. Well, this one, it was like the big twist is that, oh, it's actually aliens. But even that, I feel, is very stereotypical sword and sorcery. <laughs> like, you think you're Hunter from the Future and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. A twist that, oh, it's the future past or... <laughs> 
oh, we're on a different planet with aliens, or oh, it's actually technology, not magic, all that kind of stuff is kind of packed into sword and sorcery for me. But Theron also made the same mistake Conan did, where he decided to settle down and become king. <laughs> Conan yeah. clearly regrets being king. Yeah, he definitely had that same vibe, not wanting to settle and being miserable once he did. So there could have been a sequel. Uh, of him as king. Yeah. I actually would love a sequel of Gar going on space adventures with this crew. Yeah, that Gar story would have been like little serial adventures. Like. Yeah, going around manipulating different fantasy planets and he's got his slug companion and <laughs> or maybe he could go to like maybe he could be manipulating other sci-fi people, go to a space market to sell those red crystals. Yeah. Both of those stories would have been fun. Mhm. But Sadly, <laughs> Julian Jardine's career was cut short after these these two books. Well, who do you think this book is for? I think most fans of Sword and Sorcery will enjoy this. It's on the lighter side, but Sword and Sorcery is on the lighter side. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. I think um, if you're into Sword and Sorcery, this book is great. Yeah, it's right in there. It's got everything. It's got barbarians, magic rings, oracles, sacred quests, aliens, crystals, pirates, crab monsters. (laughs) Um, And I I also liked the writing. I think there were some pretty good images where it's like his sword sang of death and like stuff like that. Except it sang of death a little too much. (laughs) Like it was singing of death too often. But I, I agree the the writing didn't it was simple and didn't get in the way of the story or the characters. Yeah. It's the exact right length too. <laughs> Any longer and it might have become tedious, or they would have had to introduce more complicated story or more complicated character interactions. They could have padded <laughs> it out with a hundred pages of eating grapes in a vineyard. <laughs> yeah, they could. <laughs> but even Web Wind was shorter than this book, and it was still padded with endless grapes. Well, I think that's it for The Sword of Lancor. If you'd like to join us next month, we're reading Ray Bradbury Presents Dinosaur World by Stephen Lay. You can contact us at dumpsterbookclub at gmail.com or join our group on Goodreads.